welcome to Feminist Question Time, which is brought to you by Women's Human Rights Campaign, the leading global organisation defending women's sex-based rights against the threats posed by gender identity ideology. There's more information on the website, womensdeclaration.com, where you will find our Declaration on Women's Sex-Based Rights, which has been signed by 20,923 people from 140 countries and is supported by 385 organisations. As well as signatories, we have activists and we currently have country contacts in 52 countries engaged in defending women's rights. Uh, you can find out more about that on our website, womensdeclaration.com. And there's also a form if you'd like to get involved um, or indeed donate um, on that website. Uh, this week on Feminist Question Time, we have Christina Ellenson from Norway, Claudia from Austria, Arusi Under from Mexico, Peggy Lures from the USA, and we have Jennifer Thomas and Joy Gray from the USA. I'd like to uh, hand over to Christina Ellenson. So Christina is the Women's Human Rights Campaign Country Contact for Norway, and she's going to give us an update on what's happening in Norway in terms of self-ID and in terms of activism. So thank you so much for coming, Christina, and over to you. I thought I would um, take the opportunity to basically just um, uh, explain what Women Human, Women's Human Rights Campaign Norway is uh, and, uh, and how uh, we are using well, how the campaign is run in Norway. Since the Women's Human Rights Campaign is the only campaign which has produced a systemic review of the explicit relationships between biological sex, the universal human rights and women's rights, uh, it is an incredibly powerful resource for women everywhere to use um, uh, to protect their, their human rights, basically. Well, obviously it is. Um, so even though the declaration was initially written in response to a situation in the UK, um, because it has been written in the way that it has, uh, uh, they have given us all such a gift because it is, it is internationally applicable and it's, um, it's possible to apply it to, you know, to not only to your national state, your national situation, but uh, um, also on local situations. Uh, and the, the, uh, Britain, ha by far, has uh, made such a massive impact uh, on how gender identity uh, can be understood and how the threat to women's rights can be understood. Uh, so um, uh, by uh, so I'm just so incredibly grateful for the work that that you guys have done that uh, Sheila Jeffries and Heather Bronskill Evans, Morna Hora, and of course Joe Brew has done in terms of writing uh, and mapping out what exactly what it is that's happening when we replace uh, biological sex in law with these with a subjective understanding of. Um, of gender identity. Um, so, um, in order to systematically wage the campaign in Norway, uh, I have set up and registered Women's Human Rights Campaign in Norway as a charity. Um, because the, since the politics and activism to remove the legal frameworks and legislations uh, around biological sex, uh, it's not going to go away, uh, and it's being waged incredibly well organized. Uh, it's very well funded, uh, and it's just there's no way we can um, protect women's rights or, we, or, or the situation uh, unless we are, unless we go about it as uh, systematically as uh, they are doing, or they uh, as this politics is being introduced. When you remove such a fundamental factor as biological sex from uh, legal settings, then uh, the domain that is affected is huge. I mean, women's rights are one, well, it's the most important part of those domains because it's also where, where biological sex uh, has the most explicit application and it is the foundation for, 
for well for women's discrimination and for women's rights. So um, uh, it is it's, it's just simply not enough to uh, engage in conversations on Twitter or writing a letter here and there. It has to be waived systematically. Uh, and I, uh, the declaration uh, and the women's declaration and women's human rights campaign is just such an incredibly uh, useful tool to uh, to sort of fight back. Uh, so um, uh, in Norway, what we do, uh, well, the, the purpose of um, WHRC Norway, I mean, uh, the women's human rights campaign is a campaign. It's not an organization like that. It's a specific campaign, which are asking people to, uh, to take a stand on a very specific set of questions. Uh, and um, and it's, um, it's written in a way that makes it applicable to very specific situations as well. So the campaign in itself is not an organization, but um, uh, the, organ the charity that we've made it's a, it's a way to be able to wage that campaign as systematically as possible. Um, so what we do is that we basically promote the campaign, obviously. Uh, the technique we're using for that is to apply every time we see a situation that is, um, that is relevant to biological sex and women's rights, we find the article in the declaration and we, point, we use that incident as an uh, excuse to uh, educate uh, and, to, and to demonstrate the, the practical consequences of gender identity uh, replacing, well, the, the practical consequences of replacing biological sex with gender identity. And then we use the declaration to show how explicitly and specifically uh, the, uh, such, a, such a replacement is a human rights violation for women. Uh, and then our organization, as an organization, we also um, accommodate for women to study the study, the situation, study the laws, um, to share information and perspectives um, uh, specifically around the, the practical uh, implications uh, of removing an objective defined factor in human rights uh, with a subjective factor. And then we, uh, we, the purpose of, our, of having like a national organization specifically for this campaign is also to uh, make it possible for women to find us, to find other women, um, so that women can, well, basically find each other uh, and uh, find support in each other. So our, our charity offers memberships. We have three levels of memberships. Um, um, and as members, full members uh, are invited to join our study campaigns, uh, our political campaigns, uh, and all these uh, subgroups are organized around the articles in the declaration. And uh, uh, we are also launching uh, a workshop, uh, a practical workshop uh, every week. Uh, we're going to start doing that in uh, the end of Jan January. Uh, the workshop combines uh, women's human rights, uh, women's history in Norway, uh, with technology and crafts. Uh, and then we, uh, during the workshop, we then make things, we make things specifically, uh, whilst we also discuss the, the practical applications of, um, uh, of women's rights, basically. So we've been running the pilot this uh, November uh, and we're going to launch the real thing by the end of January. Um, the purpose of these workshops is to create a hands-on social and practical activity, which is empowering for women, basically. So the situation in Norway, um, the Norwegian language doesn't differentiate between biological sex and gender to begin with. So we use the word chan, which uh, essentially means uh, biological sex. But um, in the English languages, you can separate between gender and sex in a way that, um, that makes it very clear whether you're talking about the material thing or if you're talking about the social constructs 
surrounding uh, the sexes. Um, and since we don't have that distinction in the Norwegian language, uh, the, the proposals for self-ID and all the proposals for, for, uh, for gender identity law and, and changing sex uh, everywhere, it, uh, it, nobody understood what, the, what they were talking about. Like the, the, the problem that we're, that we're dealing with, in terms, you know, the consequences of replacing a biological objective material factor with a subjective, relative, and um, vague uh, feeling. Uh, nobody realized, well, I think a lot of people didn't realize because the, the word sex, or the word sex in Norwegian, shen, it, it, it can mean both things. Um, so that's, that's one thing. Uh, uh, the result of self-identification in Norway is that anybody can, uh, anybody above the, the age of six can uh, send in a form, can fill in a form online uh, and then receive a new national security number or personal identification number uh, because the uh, legal sex in Norway is uh, registered, is, um, is marked in, in your identification number. Uh, so to change legal sex in Norway, you basically change your identity number. Um, and this was done without any thoughts or uh, concerns about women's rights whatsoever. Um, and, um, uh, and, there's, and there, were, there, were no, there were no discussions about it anywhere. So I've contacted the criminal, uh, the, the criminal service, for instance, and asked them, so how are you going to, how, how are you planning on combining your, your, uh, your declared plans of securing women's rights in prisons? Um, whilst also uh, meeting the, the discrimination laws surrounding gender identity. And it's problems that they've ne they never thought about because nobody, they were never included in, the, in a critical discussion about what it means to self-identify or what it means uh, for the uses, usage of these uh, identification numbers. Uh, and many people still believe that when you talk about someone called someone termed a trans woman, they think that that is a woman who wants to be a man. They don't understand that they're actually talking about a man who claims to be a woman. So even though, so the, the entire concept of what a trans woman is or what a trans person is, uh, people have, well, people did not think about it properly uh, five years ago and they uh, still, they still, it's too absurd for most people to even grasp. Um, so that's the basis in Norway. Uh, anybody above the age of six years old can uh, change uh, their legal sex and there's no way to verify whether or not a person, there's no way to verify what biological sex Norwegian uh, citizens have because it's not registered anywhere. I mean, it's in the in the public records. It's not registered anywhere. Uh, in Norway, we also have the the Rainbow Lighthouse uh, certification program, uh, which is uh, this, basically the same as they've had in the UK in terms of the Stonewall training. Whether you get they they dedicate themselves to well, where companies dedicate themselves to make real changes in their in their structures in order to uh, accommodate um, around gender identity. Um, and they have launched that already, they will launched it this year and they have already enrolled one public school, or no, yeah, one school for children have already received a certificate for this. And they, these certificates then, uh, it's just incredibly, it's just shocking. It's shocking. It's a shocking misuse of democratic process that a private lobby organization can go into publicly democratic organizations and, and, and get them to change their legal procedure, change their, uh, their procedures 
uh, without, um, I mean, they're bypassing our democ democracy. <laughs> Uh, and I, it's just shocking. So we have we have the same scandal that you've seen that we've seen with Stonewall and the BBC. It's uh, it's right here in the courts in Norway as well because there's um, yeah we started with the same kind of certification programs that they've they've had in the UK. Uh, in February, we reported Shinigami Ice, the, um, the surveillance tool that's used to track uh, specifically women and lesbian women uh, and radical feminists. Um, we reported them to the Data Protection Authority and they uh, handed, they demanded, they sent a letter demanding a clarification from the developers of Shinigami Ice to uh, prove that they uh, had the valid uh, reasons to collect the kind of information that they had according to GDPR laws. So we're going to move now to Claudia. Claudia's from Austria. She's a um, radical feminist, lesbian activist in the Autonomous Women, Lesbian, Female, Emigrant Girls Centre. She's working in oh, FZ, working in collectives for keeping FZ autonomous for women's strike as political lesbians in Wendo, Feminist Self-Defense. And uh, so she'll explain what she's going to say, but thank you so much for coming and sharing with us, Claudia, and over to you. I, by myself, and also the FZ, uh, which is the Autonomous Women's Lesbians uh, Female Migrant Girl Center, um, signed the um, declaration um, because we uh, also think that um, it's not possible to change from one sex to the other. And the women, the FZ um, is an exclusively female, also a women's space. And um, that's why, also, and um, it exists um, more than 40 years now. It was a, a squatted house or it's still like this. And um, there are a lot of female, uh, also a lot of collectives from uh, women, as Joe said, uh, Wendo, feminist, self-defense or women's strike <laughs> and um, a, a group of political lesbians and um, also a group uh, who is working on solutions to keep the uh, FZ alive because we have a huge uh, confrontation since I guess two years approximately with the city of Vienna because the, build, uh, the city of Vienna is the owner of the building and they want to renovate it, but um, we fear that they also have uh, some uh, neoliberal capitalist um, ideas, uh, to say it like this, about it. And um, we, uh, our, um, the, the part of the building where we are, uh, you. Uh, just can come in um, when you uh, ring a bell and then we see uh, who is out there and then the women can come in. So um, it's also a safe space, um, even though I don't want to use this or uh, use this uh, term too often because I think it's uh, more and more misused, especially from the queer and trans activist community. Um, Yes, but it's a place for women to organize, to get in contact, to uh, make politics together. Uh, and um, yes, uh, and the most, as a, the women I would say who come, uh, come because it's a space, especially for women. And um, yes, there is another organization in the same building, not in the park where we are, but it's really a huge um, building. And uh, the city of Vienna has chosen the, um, if I say so, the more corporate uh, partner to sign a hiring contract between the city and this other organization, which has nothing to do with us. Uh, we are just neighbors, so it's like um, your neighbor uh, goes to the person who is the owner of the house you also have an apartment in and they make a hiring contract that the, uh, your apartment 
is uh, now, uh, also your neighbor is uh, allowed to um, rent your apartment too, in this way to, yeah, uh, precise it a little bit more. And um, what, what is um, our, um, we are now, also um, this week, for example, we made uh, a manifestation because of the 25th of November, um, the International Day um, uh, of Elimination Against the Reforms of Violence Against Women. And um, we uh, said that at the, um, and we made a, a women-only demonstration after that. And a lot of women came and talked about their organizations or also about their personal uh, connections to uh, violence. And um, we uh, are also sad about uh, losing a friend of us uh, this year. Um, she was from Somalia. Uh, her name was Farumo and um, she helped a friend uh, to um, divorce uh, from the partner uh, or the husband. And um, to make it short, the partner of the husband of uh, the friend of Fadomo uh, murdered both Shukri, which was the woman who wanted the divorce and Fadomo also. And this was a big shock for us. And um, Fadomo also was a big, uh, in Somalia and then in Austria, also a really um, active uh, fighter against at uh, FGM. And we also wanted to um, move forward in the fight against uh, FGM in Austria and uh, with the, in the, the perspective all over the world. Um, yes, and um, at the same time, there was an also uh, another, as on the 25th of November, there was another manifestation also from uh, women, uh, also who don't call themselves women, uh, they call themselves uh, Flinter persons. Um, the F stands for Frau, which is the word, uh, which means women in German. And uh, also women, lesbian, inter, non-binary, trans, and agender. So they don't use the word uh, woman or women anymore, even in cases of femicides. They don't speak about uh, murder against women. They speak about murder against uh, flinter persons. And uh, we also see that this is a huge, uh, as a, this is not acceptable in any way to delete uh, women, even in the case when there is a violence against women or women are murdered. And it's also uh, like an elimination when you put the term flinter um, over uh, a woman uh, who was murdered. Um, for me, it's another murder, murderer. Uh, to don't tell that this was a woman and all the uh, 28 women uh, who have been murdered uh, till now in Austria, which is a really, really high number um, because uh, Austria is not a really big country. Um, so we have 28 murdered women and um, 44 cases of uh, really, also like uh, where the, the women um, survived, but it was really, really dangerous for their lives. So um, this is one um, thing also, which goes, um, I have the feeling more and more in mainstream. Um, first, we had um, women written with an asterisk, which was, uh, which is uh, more or less also common in institutional organizations. So the asterisk means that um, all women or all persons who define themselves as women um, are addressed in a way or invited or I don't know. And uh, flinter is uh, the new term, I would say, where uh, 
the word women doesn't even exist anymore and um, it's also like uh, it's not science or not historic to speak about the women's liberation from the 1970s or something like that and put an asterisk at this term this is not true there haven't been uh, trans people or uh, some who defined themselves as non-binary or something like that or it was not the topic at this time and but when we are talking about intersectionality or uh, inclusive feminism, it's all about uh, just the trans theme, the trans topic, the trans agenda. And um, there is also um, in the government, uh, they are talking about um, uh, the self ID at the first time in Austria. There was a, a question uh, brought in June this year uh, by the Social Democratic Party and uh, a newer party, like uh, it's a neoliberal uh, capitalist one, let me say it so. And the biggest points, uh, also there was um, the biggest points by now, but I think it's uh, more or less the same in every country is it's not really, uh, detailed what uh, the consequence is uh, for women after uh, this, but um, they are going to, it's about the legally recognition of uh, the gender, um, or as Christina said, in German, it's the same. Uh, there is no, also there is, but uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Um, because we saw as a gender is no okay uh, sorry the legal recognition um, from your self-defining or the you like the uh, spoken act to go to the uh, I say government to say I'm a woman for example and um, then you can uh, be or this uh, the goal of this is that you um, just uh, you don't have to bring any certificates, uh, psychological or psychiatric uh, ones or something like that, like in the past, um, that you go there and say, I'm a woman, I'm a man, I'm non-binary or I'm intersexual or something like that, uh, yes, should be enough to be legally recognized at the uh, gender you say. And one last point, what is also mixed in this, or I think uh, it's the danger or the opportunity to mix it, that the um, demands of intersexual people are um, mixed or woven with, threat, with the um, demands of trans people in cases of uh, operations and all that. Uh, so like the, because they also say the, um, the sex or the gender um, you signed at birth is coming from the intersexual movement also, no? But um, when you say as a trans person, um, I was signed at, uh, as a man when I was born, it means something completely different. Yeah, okay, then um, we wanted, uh, so I <laughs> would be very, very happy um, if you uh, would sign our petition. Um, it just feels good to fight this, uh, to be not alone in this fight. So now we're going to hear from Peggy Lures. Peggy is from the United States of America. Um, she's uh, came out in 1979 and started as a uh, started a lesbian feminist rap group. She was founder of Women Against Rape and Common Woman editor. She headed the Women's Council for a decade and taught ecofeminism at the Institute for Social Ecology. Feminist Media Review, her ac media review, her Access TV show has run for over. 20 years. She's also a designer builder of several houses. Um, uh, Peggy is going to talk to us about the impacts of trans rights activists on lesbians 
and her title, her talk is called Lesbians, the Ultimate Loose Women. Thank you so much, Peggy, um, for speaking to us and over to you. Some women have said that they're tired of hearing about the past, but I think, but the threads of oppression continue. So what I wanted to do today is trace those strands and see what continues and how it differs now. I came out actually in 1973. I started the first lesbian rap group in Vermont with the woman who had become my first lesbian lover that very night. I came out of a seven year marriage living with my three-year-old son, Justin and seeing him off to his dad on weekends. Lesbians were a big part of the growing women's liberation movement, but we made many liberal feminists nervous and we had to struggle to be recognized. Um, it took the lavender menace to startle now into the awareness of how many we are and how big a part of the women's movement we were, are still. I was one of a group of mainly lesbians who started Women Against Rape, WAR, W-A-R, in 1973. Later, we opened the hotline to battered women and we were immediately inundated with calls. We housed women in safe homes until we found a suitable shelter. War became the Women's Rape Crisis Center and then Hope Works and Women Helping Battered Women became steps to end domestic violence. Federal money brought in men, women came out of the group's name, uh, the agents were deleted, a mistake. We need sources of funding that do not demand our service to men. In the early 70s, lesbians were not represented anywhere in the media. I, it's hard to explain how there was nothing. Uh, Sappho was a write-on woman was out and I once put that there was a fence downtown and I wrote that across almost a whole city block and I, I met a woman who sat in the patisserie and was so thrilled to see it. Um, and Sappho was a write-on woman was out and Rita Mae Brown was at Goddard College reading her as yet unpublished Ruby Fruit Jungle. I went with Faye to hear her read a chapter our small group, our small rap group grew. We had a women's center in the downtown supported by monthly pledges. The space was big enough for dances, which we organized. Lesbians started a collectively run newspaper called Common Woman. This would be a good time to show picture. Um, so that, yeah, that, so the, and the other one is a picture of the cover of Common Woman covering the, the action we did. The action we did was that we curfewed men. Uh, we, we, we got a very official looking, and it's, it's on that page, picture of the seal of the city. We, we said, uh, due to the rising incidents of rape, men need to be off the street at 10 o'clock. And uh, if they needed uh, permission, they could call the mayor, the head of the university, or the editor of the paper. Um, we made a big impact. We were on the top of the fold in the local paper and men were furious and calling all of these people, you know, about their, their movements being uh, circumscribed. So we made our point. One morning I went to see a friend and she held up a copy of something with a picture of an Amazon on the cover. This was quite exciting at the time. I had never seen Amazons represented anywhere and this was a lesbian feminist art journal. So we had, that was very exciting for me at the time to, we were out there and there were wonderful articles in that. You can find some of it online. When I get asked nowadays, how can you be so horrible to trans people? They struggle the same as you did coming out. Well, this question lets me know the person has no clue of our history. We were a liberation movement. We wanted to be openly lesbians. Our demands took nothing from other people. We did not tell the civil rights movement that preceded and inspired us that they should center lesbians or block their venues and accuse them of ignoring our desires. We did not have every organ of state power behind us. The speed of the takeover of LGB organizations and the disruption of every lesbian group were my first clues that this was nothing like the reception we got in the early 70s when all of church and state aligned against us. Another, que another um, question I get or is, but lesbians can assault women in public restrooms, don't they? Yet lesbians don't prey on other women or believe me, we would hear about it. As lesbians are way overrepresented in prison, 25 to 40% of the prison population is, is uh, 
you know, lesbian or bisexual women, even though we're probably less than 5% of the population. It's not because lesbians are more violent than other women. It's more because patriarchy demands that we be tied to men. We lesbians are loose women, not in the sense of being lewd women, but because lesbian refu lesbians refuse those ties and choose women and their female selves. These are some of the forces used against lesbians. Corrective rape. There is a long and sadly continuing history of corrective rape. There have been a lot of reports of this in, in South Africa. But corrective rape has a new face. Now men try to shame lesbians into sex with accusations of transphobia or genital fetishism to women who refuse. And as Angela Wilde's research has shown, they are not reluctant to use force or rape if those women don't capitulate. Another way we are oppressed is we are fetishized and pornified. Google lesbian and you go through pages of porn sites before you get to any lesbian organization. Any woman or girl not conforming to the current style of femininity derived from porn is seen as masculine and will be asked when she's transing. The historic, another one is the historic practice of locking lesbians away in mental institutions or lobotomizing them is not as prevalent as it once was. Now women and girls with a mental trauma or body dissociation who are likely to be lesbians are slated for hormonal or surgical treatment that claims affirmation will cure their distress. Lesbians have also always been deemed unnatural and not real women. We used to be considered men. Now we are meant to buy the absurdity that men are lesbians. And this has meant male monopolizing of lesbian dating sites, another way to keep us from connecting. Currently, rapid onset gender dysphoria is rampant. Puberty blockers are given to children. Girls with no sexual experience are cutting off breasts before they even have a sex life. Entire friendship, friendship groups declare trans status in this social contagion. Left alone, most of these girls would be lesbians. Our future lesbians are being scarred for life or worse. This is a horrific conversion therapy as bad or worse than the former practice of chemically castrating homosexuals using the very same chemicals. Lesbian feminists did two unpardonable things, proposed and promulgated a female-centered non-phallic sexuality with relationships based in equality. And we said in the words of the great Malvina Reynolds song, we don't need the men. We don't need the men. The Daughters of Politis had formed in the 50s. In 1969, Stonewall erupted and unleashed gay and lesbian liberation. Once in the gay liberation front, lesbians opposed men promoting the North American Man Boy Love Association, NAMBLA. Due to things like this, lesbians began to separate and lesbian liberation was born as was lesbian feminism and separatism. And I certainly refer anybody who wants to know this history to any to um, Unpacking Queer Politics by Sheila Jeffries and many of Sheila's books. The fault lines came early. In the late 70s, The Advocate was printing columns by Pat Califia, the only lesbian to get a regular column in, in that male publication. Though we convinced them to put the L first in LGB, the gay community was never a great fit for lesbians. I did have to laugh when the pink news reporter confronted with get the L out at London Pride lost his mind screaming, this is terrible, terrible. Lesbians are at the front of the parade. Um, yes, and we're in the front of the letters, but we are still forgotten. San Francisco dykes always start the bride parade, the dykes on bikes. And I want, I saw this quote from Julia Penelope and it's very apt, still apt. Whenever lesbians are subsumed under a generic term, whether it is gay or homosexual, and today we would say queer, we would add queer, the subject matter has little or nothing to do with our lives. We are trivial marginalia and digressions. Exactly 43 years ago today, Friday, November, uh, I, I was in San Francisco on Friday, November 27th. 
1978, I took a bus to the Castro returning. I was just coming back from Thanksgiving in Ukiah. When I got out in the Castro, everything was draped in black. What's happening? What's happening? I asked the first person I saw. Haven't you heard? Somebody shot Harvey and the mayor. Harvey Milk was the openly gay supervisor of San Francisco and Mayor Moscone was the mayor and they were murdered by a hateful man. This set up huge vigils. Um, Holly Near came down and had written her song, We Are a Gentle Angry People, especially for, for this occasion. Um, this was followed by a police riots against all gay and lesbian bars. They raided one bar out on the avenues called Peg's Place. The women were taken to the police station in handcuffs and hung up over the pipes there. And that was reported in Plexus and nowhere else that I know of. Then there was a, a gay riot after when the murderer was let off on the Twinkie defense that he had eaten too many Twinkies and sugar had made him crazy. And so there was a huge riot, but no one reported about the police riots that went on for several months. That same sojourn in San Francisco, I went to see Samoa host a discussion of BDSM among lesbians at Old Wives' Tales. There was Pat Califia, advocate columnist. Now she and Gail Rubin have begun Samoa to promote sadomasochism to the lesbian community. Samoa opposed women against pornography, setting up the earliest of the feminist sex wars. Just a few years prior, just a few weeks prior, I had listened to Mary Daly at the same venue. Unsurprisingly, Miss SM, Miss Sadomasochism, is now Patrick Califia. Lesbians refused to be marginal or trivial. We declared lesbian liberation and we made a whole new culture. We created women's music, women's festivals, bookstores, volumes and volumes of books, newspapers, magazines, coffee houses, bars, and spas, communities, and women's land for collective living. Most of this has been erased. The books can be found with some effort, but the spaces cannot. After the AIDS crisis of the 1980s abated, Gay men took over the pride centers and began their collaboration with rich men promoting transgender ideology. I worked at such a center in 2004 and 2005 and found it offered little to lesbians. So I started a lesbian movie night, but my male boss said I had to accept anyone who came in and said they were a woman. I called it sapphic cinema, did the graphics and showed only films that focused on lesbians. Luckily for us, no men ever showed up. My job was running the computer center, which had brand new IBM PCs provided by Tim Gill, a name which meant nothing to me at the time. But I now know this was another early incursion. Jennifer Billick tells us, Tim Gill brings money, lots of money, a background in computer software and technology, very handy if you wanna reach a global audience, and starts the largest LGBT NGO in the USA. And he bragged about, um, uh, Gil bragged about um, his friendship with John Stryker, who is the Arcus Foundation, which has also co-opted almost pretty much every LGBT organization in the country and uh, how they uh, were rewarding the good and punishing the bad was his statement. So the center, working for the center, it was called RU12, sent me to the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force Conference in St. Louis. I was shocked to find no lesbian workshops in this whole two-day event. And there were two workshops about gay men focused on sex. The rest were all trans ideology and trans issues. Lesbians decided to address this by calling for a butch caucus at lunchtime. I went to this and learned that these young women were being pressured to trans transition. They were mocked as not brave enough to trans. To me, dividing butch into butch and femme is one more concession to gender roles. But these women were saying, we are butch lesbians and that's what we wanna be. We don't like being told that makes us men. That was my first exposure to the coercion affecting young dykes. And that coercion has grown exponentially since then. 
Lesbians need to be clear that these demands are nothing but the whining of hetero men who are AGPs, autogynophiles, wanting to, and they want to increase their supply of sexually available women or use women to validate their delusions. Lesbian and feminists were a real challenge to our male-defined place in the margins. To shift us back to the margins, off the page and out of the book altogether, Men decided pretending to be us would bring them back to being the controllers, the definers of how it is and who we are. They started their movement to replace us with a group of men developing theory to support their paraphilias. And they invented and continue to invent words and phrases to bamboozle everyone and to recruit eggs. That's the young who are seen as not transing, not out as trans yet. It's vital to understand the power of words. Karadansky and Julia Long, among others, have made it clear why we cannot repeat the words the gender industry uses. Julia reminds us that when we use the oppressor's language, it affects and infects our own thinking. Using their language gives it power and lessens our own powers of self-definition. The backlash against us is evidence of our power small consolation when we are so successfully divided. Capitalist patriarchy with its dual hatred of women and nature has organized a world more misogynist than the 1950s. Martine Rothblatt, who regularly visits Burlington, my city, and funds the local tech champ, says transgenderism is the on-ramp to transhumanism. And we might start calling that non-humanism. So what do we do? Well, we're doing it here in the WHRC, connecting globally. The Women's Liberation Front is holding educational forums and filing important lawsuits. The gender mappers are locating and documenting gender clinics. The Tur Turf Collective is neutralizing that slur and spreading their message with flyers and stickers and demonstrations. Spanish and French women have organized marches even though they have been violently attacked by male gender activists. Young dykes and women loving women are using the media of the moment, putting out songs like Born Not Worn and hosting Womb of the View to discuss issues on YouTube. Detransitioners telling their stories on YouTube inspired me to talk about radical feminism on video as some desisters credit it in helping them understand that they could change their minds and not their bodies. I planned to do radical feminism online, but I found that that someone had already put some of my videos from my TV show, from my Access TV show up there. So what we need to know, this is a patriarchal war on women and lesbians, which means a set of power relations is at play and that we cannot educate it away. We must build a counter power to demand an end to it. Joel Ruby Ryan, a man who heads up gender studies at the University of New Hampshire, my neighboring state, says we need to do away with the word woman, but of course not men. Why don't his students see the blatant misogyny here? We can educate potential allies. We know most people have no clue what is really going on, having bought the lies, platitudes, and euphemisms spread by the gender industry. Building a new autonomous women's movement is necessary. Can we get ahead of the conversion therapy issues that are coming up? Sending Boys and girls into the medical industrial complex is a vicious experimental practice that utterly ignores the code of first do no harm. We need to say so. We need to keep calling it the worst conversion therapy of all time. We do have problems getting our word out. Valerie Solanas, after a list of male faults, says he has one glaring area of superiority over the female, public relations. He has done a brilliant job of convincing millions of women that men are women and women are men, which is Solanus's way of talking about patriarchal reversals. Those interested in Solanus can follow today's session in a breakout room where we will show clips of I shot Andy Warhol and discuss her. Today, women are not as naive as much of my generation was about the difficulties of women working together. Sisterhood is powerful, but it can also be contentious. We lost women disillusioned by that who gave up on feminism. The worst and most costly betrayals in my own life came from women. 
sadly. Flo Kennedy, a wonderful black feminist said, if you think power corrupts, try powerlessness. This is difficult work that goes against the grain of our training and submissiveness. One of the rewards is unlearning that submissiveness, claiming our power, claiming our anger, so forbidden to women, but such a necessary engine of change. We can discover ourselves out from under the roles and invitations designed to keep us quiet and small. Tools to fight back. Understand patriarchal reversals so that, or you can call it narcissistic projection, like call us, calling us fascists when it's, their methods are thoroughly authoritarian. Our love for each other is our most potent weapon. It is why our oppressors do their best to divide us and destroy our organizations and try to prevent our coming together. I want to read a little bit from the introduction to Jan Raymond's, Janice Raymond's A Passion for Friends, which I really recommend to everybody. She says, female sustained emphasis on female oppression, the state of atrocity and the communion of resistance can have the unintended effect of making the female experience synonymous with the colonization experience. Female friendship gives us, gives depth and spirit to a political vision of feminism and is itself a profoundly political act. Without kind of affection, our politics and political struggles remain superficial and more easily short-circuited. Change may occur, but maybe only for a limited time and on levels that do not really shake the foundations of hetero reality. It's not enough for feminists to dissect the corpse of patriarchal pathologies. It's not enough for women to depict the state of hetero reality. Women have not always been for men. We need to know the gene genealogy of women who did not and who do not exist for men or in pivotal relationship to, to them. And we need to create a vision of gyne affection. What women search for can be as important as what we find. Our love for each other is our most potent weapon. It's why our presses do their best to divide us and destroy our organizations and try to prevent our coming together. The love and joy and camaraderie between women can be a prime motivator. You don't need to be a lesbian to participate in that. You do need to be a woman identified woman. You do need to give up being mad and succumbing to male approval desire. And now we might need to watch out for lad, left approval desire. And I want to quote here, Audre, the great black lesbian feminist, Audre Lorde, who says, when I dare to be powerful, to use my strength in the service of my vision, then it becomes less and less important whether I am afraid. So I call for us to share our love and have some courage, sisters. I ran for city council uh, this year. I didn't win, but it did get me some publicity and a chance to talk about the issues. It also got me several articles trying to diss me, which sort of had the same form of going the the journalist who listed themselves with their pronouns went to a couple of people who were trans and they said, oh, this is terrible. She's a transphobe. It's scary, scary, terrible things are going to happen to us. The reality is the bad things are happening there's nothing happening to anyone trans that I know of in Vermont. Uh, we have terrible laws that have no lower age for surgery. Um, and um, uh, Christina brought up Shinigami eyes. One of the things that happened to me was, one of the things that happened to someone else, this young woman who was starting a business catering from her home, had lots of customers her first couple of weeks. And then Someone using Shinigami eyes found that she was a friend of mine on Facebook and they started to attack her and they basically destroyed her business. And a friend of mine lost a job over this and another woman lost her place and I have become a pariah in the community that I started. And um, it, it just, you know, so this this is what happens with this. I mean, I, I'm, I'm okay with that, but I'm not okay okay with it but you know i can deal with it but it, it's so annoying that it keeps being a focus on oh terrible things are going to happen to trans people sort of the same thing happened in the uk this year where you know they're carrying on about trans day of remembrance no 
trans person in three years has been killed in the UK, but this year 120 women were. And in the US that's three to five women a day being killed um, uh, by domestic violence, by battering, I should say. Anyway, so that Shinigami eyes is, is, a, is a thing that people use and, and you know, it's very hard to get the media to report what happens to us. They still keep up with this, but we'll keep plugging away until it happens. So our next uh, speakers who are going to be on camera together are going to be Jennifer Thomas and Joy Gray. Jennifer Thomas is a co-founder of Rev Femme Rebellion and grassroots coordinator for Women's Human Rights Campaign USA. She came to activism via environmental uh, work. She was part of a community that helped close a billion dollar corporate pluter. And then uh, recent, more re well, recently came to uh, awareness about the problems with gender identity ideology. Joy Gray is a rad femme from Baltimore, Maryland. She's been a feminist activist and victim advocate since 2015. For the past six months, Joy has had her motorcycle boots on the ground, traveling around the US and speaking to everyday people about gender identity, ideology and rape culture. And she is a co-founder of the Rev Femme Rebellion and Victim Advocacy and Awareness Campaign. Uh, safeguarding women's sex-based rights. So uh, uh, the two, uh, Joy and Jennifer, are going to talk about boots on the ground activism and protesting school boards where rapes have, uh, where there have been rapes. So thank you so much, Joy and Jennifer, and over to you. Joy and I started Red Femme Rebellion um, because we saw a need for to fill the gaps in boots on the ground in America. Um, it's there are there are few feminists and America is so widespread that we were having difficulty um, connecting. So Joy took her motorcycle and, you know, connected with women in person, which is, you know, once you connect with someone in person, you get them, you know, you get them, you get them in, right? They, they want to be a part of it. So, so that's been working out and, and we have been kind of poking the bear, you know, going through protesting, poking the bear, looking for soft spots. And um, one revealed itself with the Loudoun rapes. Um, at, we went to Loudoun. Uh, while we were there, different groups approached us and um, very curious about what we were doing there. And, you know, because they, they don't really know the difference between radical feminism and liberal feminism. Um, so they were pleased to see us and want to work with us. And, and what happened after that with the political disaster for the Democrats indicated to me that that is a way in. It's a way in to, um, you know, that there's at least someone to hold accountable with the school boards. So we've developed a, a new plan to um, protest or, you know, kind of gather people via, you know, we're going to canvas the school district that where there's a rape, there's been a rape in um, Minnesota. So we're focusing on that one and go there like a week before and try to get parents to join us in the protest. Um, I think this is the red button. I've been waiting for something that, um, that, that breaks through the media and breaks through the political situation here in America. I thought it was going to be detransitioners, but it looks like it's the rapes um, in the schools that, that is really a key, a key um, strategy. So that is our plan for the future. Um, we're also doing a protest um, on December 1st, and we're joining Save Women Sports in a protest on uh, December 12th. And then after that, we will take a break and gather intelligence and plan how we're going to approach the high schools, um, the protests for the high schools uh, and, you know, and develop our website a little more and bring more people in. Um, you know, we're looking to connect with, you know, whether whether you're 
whether you have religious affiliations or political or personal or both, we can all agree that safeguarding women and children is top priority. So we're looking to work with other groups, parent groups, and, um, you know, amplify our voice. Uh, in America, it's why, you know, it's why it's such a large country that we needed to actually get boots on the ground to connect women. It was, it was, it wasn't working with the, the social media, right? It was, it just wasn't translating into action on the ground. And I think we've developed, you know, a, a fairly large group, you know, considering the size of the radical feminist group in America. And I think that we can, um, we can really kind of wedge ourselves in with this uh, uh, high school situation because under Biden's EO, any school that wants to receive federal money has to comply with these uh, gender you know, policies that, that they're putting in the schools. And they're in all the schools. They are in them. Um, whether the school, the administration decides to enforce them and how they enforce them is where you know, we're going to see you know, problems. And, and that's, that's where we have a way in. I've been on the road now for about six months. That's why I'm speaking from the van. So I wanted to emphasize that Red Femme Rebellion comes from a victim advocacy place. I've been a victim advocate for about five years now, um, working with an organization that assists sexual assault survivors, domestic violence survivors, which we now refer to as interpersonal domestic violence survivors or uh, interpersonal violence survivors, depending on the organization and human trafficking survivors. So the trifecta there. Um, and one of the uh, points that I think is important to bring forward with victim advocacy is that it is a meeting point no matter where you are or who you are. I have now been all over this country for the past six months. I mean, east to west coast to back, all over. We've been joining protests from organ with organizations like she like Jen said with save women's sports and keep women's keep prisons single sex and um, women's rights women's sex-based rights organizations and the single point that everyone no matter what your religious beliefs political beliefs personal beliefs everyone can agree on safeguarding and that kind of spans all of these issues so we've done protests at prisons we've done protests that the the pediatric gender clinics and hospitals. We've done protests for uh, against the Olympics and other other sports organizations for allowing men to compete. And most recently on November 5th, we organized our own protest that was protesting social media corporations. So Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, all three headquarters in California, we protested those and 20 plus locations countrywide with 50 women. Um, and the key to organizing for us has been making it accessible. So accessible both in talking to the normal public, just regular normal people, everyday people. I've never had a conversation, an actual conversation that started in someone willing to hear me out that has ended without them saying, wow, I have so much to think about. I had no idea that was going on. So it's about finding this middle ground. And we found great success in empowering women to come out and join our protest by making it easy. So one of the, the things that we've done to great success is plan the nationwide at all these different locations. And then we ship the posters. So this last November 5th protest, we shipped posters and a bunch of stickers and, and information as like a thank you to participants. And so all they had to do was show up and we, we safety planned with every group that was going. And for some women, they were going as a bigger group and felt comfortable standing outside for a couple hours and engaging with people and talking to people. For other women that were going as a pair or maybe by themselves, they wanted to go early and just snap a selfie and say, hey, I'm out here representing for Red Femme Rebellion, free speech for women. And that was very encouraging. Um, we had great success in women who hadn't felt comfortable previously coming out and women who had said they'd known, they'd been speaking for six years together online and never met together. And this was a reason to bring them out together in their area. So that, that kind of the, the structure that we're doing, key on accessibility and being able to empower women no matter where they are to participate. Um, and of course, victim advocacy, because all of this comes down to safeguarding kids and safeguarding women. So I was, I was really thankful uh, when I wound up in at Jen's home in Chicago, kind of 
uh, left there halfway through this wondering, what am I going to do? She empowered me and she said, your message is important. Your voice is important. And she's been amazing in helping create an organization that's all about connecting women. So thank you so much, Jen. I'm going to put the social media uh, act, like uh, contacts for all of us in our organization. Like Jen said, we're building our website, feministrevolution.us. And our goal for the website is a point of reference for anybody who wants to connect, no matter where they are in America and outside of it. And our Zoom meetings are very casual on Friday. We're about making it fun, making it really relaxed and encouraging women. So I put the Zoom link in there Friday nights, 8 p.m. Central. That's 9 p.m. Eastern. It's all in there. We'd love to see anybody who wants to come hang out and talk with us. We encourage promoting each other's stuff. So if there's if there's a an, like a campaign or something you're working on that you want us to promote, just bring it to us. We'd love to help support you and just connect people and women um, everywhere. It really is like the gym or anything else showing up is, is half the battle. And it's amazing what showing up can do. And that we as an organization have just put the emphasis on nonviolent direct action. It, you know, I, I've, I've embraced it so wholly and, and we've, we've, made plans to take it out into more of speakers events across the United States. And we really want to highlight, like Peggy was talking about the three to five femicide rate was before COVID. And as a, as a victim advocate, I mean, we're taught that domestic violence rates have gone up at least 30% and we don't even know the true rates of femicide in this country. It's, I mean, imagine five, at least five women a day. That's ridiculous. And there's no torches and pitchforks here for us. So We've been we've been organizing. We have future plans for die-ins and similar type street boots on the ground and VDA like political theater type demonstrations that can encourage women to have fun and participate and make these these shocking statistics known to the public because it's just not talked about. So we're going to scream it from the rooftops. Thank you so much for having us.